All right, everyone, Tom Gentile here. Welcome to another Profit Strategies podcast, and welcome to my co-host, Chris Johnson. Chris, where are you at these days? Tom, I'm back in Cincinnati after visiting the beautiful state of Florida for about a week and a half, hanging out with my my son that's down there, a little New Year's Eve on the beach, socially distanced the whole way, but had a great time, but fantastic to be back in the office again. Oh, you know, my that Lord. I, you know what? Before we begin, I got to tell you what I did last weekend. I'll, I won't be doing it again this weekend. I got coaxed into going out to Siesta Key, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's open. It's one of the largest beaches in the world. Beautiful. Then we went to go eat. Ooh. Open. Outdoors. Eating. Okay. Masks. Then we went across the street to the club. we had masks on but nobody else did so we went in the club turned around went outside to the patio and and hang hung out at the patio but i'm telling you these people at this club it's like covid doesn't even exist it's you know and and this is the kind of thing that led me back in december to believe that we're going to peak in january and peak in number of cases, peak in deaths. And I just feel bad for a lot of uh, the older population that that is doing the right thing and that their younger family members who are not are bringing it to them. That's just my opinion. Just my opinion, Chris. I'm with you. Tom, you know what? I drove to Florida. You know, I've got a, uh, my camper. You've got your uh, your, your uh, uh, scan. What do you call it? I'm sorry. The, the, sprinter. Yeah. The sprinter. I That's sprinter. What I was I'm actually going to. I'm actually going to upgrade it this okay. year. So I'll be surprising everybody with an upgrade uh, be probably awesome. sometime this summer because I'm going to ha- I'm having actually having something specially built uh, because there's some things that I wanted that I can't get just going out and purchasing a Sprinter van that's, that's automatically converted. I love the van, mm-hmm. but there's some things I can't do in it, Right, uh, which I'm rectifying those things as we speak. But I I drove all the way down and then drove all the way back up. Ironically, you know, I've got a friend that flew back up from Florida and caught COVID on the way home up to Cincinnati. So I'm like you. I'm wondering, a lot of people like you and myself go through these extraneous measures. I mean, we're really stretching it. And a lot of other people are just sitting around, you know, talking and have a beer and all. I, I just don't get it. And I hope we're past a peak here. Well, my you God, know, it's socially distance everyone, please. It's funny. My, yeah, it's funny. My family and, you know, I'm talking about even outside of my immediate family. When I'm talking about my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, you know, we all kind of stay in a bubble. We don't, you know, we don't see outside people. And with that way, we can all hang together. We don't have to worry about, you know, who's got to, um, who's got to uh, quarantine for how long. It just... It just, you know, we just kind of stick together. Um, but yeah. boy, I'm telling you, we went and took and did this, uh, you know, little trek out. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it really is amazing. I mean, and, and I this is, know. this is January. This is January, which means that spring break isn't even here yet. So we might see yet another wave that happens uh, down in the Southeast and in the South um, and all the way around the Panhandle as uh, spring breakers are going to, you know, it only, it starts next month. It starts next month. Anyway, you know what? I just wanted to give you a side item there. Um, What's going on in the markets this week? Well, we've got, uh, you know, markets have been uh, pretty, I mean, it's been quiet. It has been quiet this week. This has been one of the quietest quietest weeks uh, when you look at the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ. 
uh, that I have seen in quite a while now. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, what's the news out there? Basically a couple of things. You know, Trump is on his way out. Biden's on his way in. Uh, there's been talk of, content, of potential unrest as we go into this weekend. But the real news, which has been driving the markets, has been more stimulus, potentially more stimulus coming. Uh, and then, of course, the 100 million dose mission uh, that uh, Biden is tapping his new health secretary to do is to get 100 million doses out uh, as soon as possible. Uh, and, and this is what's driving the market, folks. And, you know, and it, there's a lot of no news, too. You know, we're about to head into earnings season. We've already started just trickling in. So earnings will be coming as well. All of this is spelling a very quiet move to the upside when you look at the stock market. When you look at cryptocurrency, however, it's been anything but quiet. All right. So uh, let's back up to last weekend, Chris. I'm doing the crypto dance. You know, we're heading into 40,000. Come into Sunday, we get a little pullback. Monday, we get a big pullback. We're down in the low 30s by Monday. And, you know, I saw my portfolio lost a zero at the end uh, <laughs> on Monday. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm in this for the long term. This is, you know, and lo and behold, here we are again. And we're right back up knocking on 40 again. Yep. Uh, that's how crazy it's been. We was, we've seen thousands and thousands of points on cryptocurrency uh, change hands. I mean, we saw I saw Bitcoin down 20% earlier this week at one point. Then we started going back up again, you know, and as we head into the end of the week, we're seeing double digit moves to the upside. So, you know, if you want to know where the volatility is, folks, it's not in the stock market. Yes, it's in a couple of stocks in the stock market, but in the overall market, it's not there. You want to see volatility? Go look at cryptocurrency and go hey, Tom, look and see what happened this week. Let me let me branch off on that. I don't know if you saw the uh, the quote from Mark Cuban on Monday. Obviously, somebody who knows the markets and who was part of the dot com bubble. He sold a couple of companies right into it. He actually specifically said cryptocurrencies look like, and he didn't say Bitcoin. He said cryptocurrencies look like the dot com bubble exactly. And he actually went a step further and said. There are some that will survive a bubble burst, Bitcoin being one of them, and they will be the ones that come out. What's your thought on that when somebody comes out and says, and that's part of the volatility? Yeah. What's your thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I think there's two different, you got to think of two different distinctions right now between mm -hmm. cryptocurrency and the stock market. There are many, many other stocks out there in the universe as we went into the year 2000 when we had that bubble that happened. Uh, there were many, many more shares. There was a huge float right. in stocks at the time. So to compare one to the other, uh, yeah, are we due for a, for a pullback? I, I thought we were going to pull back to around 20,000, and I still believe that that may happen. But, um, but we're talking about something that has such a small, finite amount. You can't just go out there and do a new offering on Bitcoin or a new offering on Ethereum. The, 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 the number of coins are where they are. In fact, quite the opposite's happening, Chris. Uh, this week, we, uh, we heard tales of folks who have lost passwords and lost their, their alphanumeric address. And, you know, once that's gone, your crypto's gone. It's like burning cash, um, only cash that you can't just, you know, re, reintroduce. Um, and so, there's a there's a statement out there that 20% of all bitcoins uh, that are that are out there are gone they're lost they can't uh. be recovered 
So, I mean, <laughs> that right there is going to generate uh, more moves to the upside. But I think to say that uh, that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh, is has the same bubble as uh, the stock market, I'm not sure I kind of agree with that. I do think we could get some violent pullbacks. But I almost think, I mean, look at crypto today or this particular week. It had a V-shaped recovery. <laughs> it had a V-shaped recovery in a week. Now, we, uh, but the fact that we're sitting back up near 40,000 again, going into a three-day weekend uh, with Martin Luther King Day on Monday, the market's going to be closed. You know, people are, it, I expect cryptocurrency to be violent again. We could be back down in the low 30s. We could be in the high 20s by the time uh, we, we start uh, action here in the stock market again on Tuesday. But we could also be up in the 40s and maybe even 50,000 by then, because that's the kind of moves that we're seeing. So. Uh, another question off that little sidebar. So now you've got stimulus coming in and President-elect Biden is starting to identify, OK, he's going to start giving money to states, et cetera, et cetera. As we see some of that policy come out, especially around fiscal stimulus, gold and silver have kind of gone quiet as a hedge. Is Bitcoin have. have that as a fundamental hedge against the dollar that is now starting to go back down again? Is everybody running to Bitcoin to cover their butts in the dollar? That, that's that is happening. And, you know, I mean, I'm an investor in gold, but what I'm doing in things like GLD is I'm doing a lot of put selling and I'm doing put selling because because of the quietness in gold. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, you know, I get uh, assigned and sometimes I don't. But I'm trying to grab a little bit of juice from the fact that gold and silver have been quiet and really haven't been moving a lot. But I do expect them to participate in this. I just think they're going to be the caboose in um, in that rally. I mean, you take, you know, gold's a commodity, Chris, you know that. Yep. Silver is a commodity, you know that. Look at all the other commodities and what they've done. Corn, wheat, soybeans. We're <laughs> seeing moves we haven't seen in years. CRB uh, in the grain. Yeah, yeah. And I just think I just think gold and silver are going to be the caboose, the caboose on the commodities to move higher against the U.S. dollar. Okay. Now, yeah. uh, you know what, Chris? I got a couple questions for you. What's that? Let's let's talk real quick about stocks that you're looking at uh, that maybe something new that's on your radar that you you know weren't looking at back in December. Uh, you know what? The newest thing, and you know we've talked about clean energy for some time. Love the clean energy sector. When you look at the solar, when you look at uh, even the hydrogen, um, these areas of the market are just popping, Tom. I mean, the ICLN and the TAN, which are the two ETFs, the main ETFs there for solar and clean energy, they're, they're in what I call uh, herding cats mode where the correlations are going down. And that's just a fancy word of saying some stocks are going higher, some stocks are going lower. Those are gritting all kinds of opportunities. But the newest thing that's gotten on my radar here in the last two, three weeks is old school energy. And going back to what you just said about grain and all these commodities, you've got oil and natural gas that have now caught a bid and they're moving into long-term bull markets. So what I mean by that is you've got a lot of these companies crossing above their 20-month moving average. This is a shift and it comes down to inflation, demand, pricing, which is just a fundamental tailwind for these stocks right now. Who would have thought that you could play clean and dirty energy at the same time? But I think for the next six months, uh, your natural gas and your oil plays have a place in this market. So that's you know, the new You just thing. mentioned something. You What's just that? mentioned something. I, I, I want the, view, the uh, audience, when you get a chance, guys and gals, 
check out UNG. You know, yes. Chris just mentioned natural gas. Take a look at what UNG has done just since uh, Christmas. We're talking about a low of eight and a quarter. And then just 10 days later, this thing was sitting at 10 and a quarter. I mean, that's a better than 20% move in just 10 days. Now, it's pulling back a little bit now, and it needs to because that was a huge run-up for natural gas. I'm, I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out what in the heck just happened that made that whole thing turn around and make the big move up. But you're right. Old-school energy is definitely uh, uh, yeah. on fire, and not just since November. But, you know, you, you look at that natural gas, you look at the clean old school energy, I think, is what you're really kind of referring to. Chris. You call it too, yeah. And uh, it, it has definitely caught a bid and it is definitely on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. You know, what? let's throw another one out there just so people can look at something and maybe take something away in terms of putting it in your pocket or portfolio. XOP, which is the oil and gas exploration ETF. That is up 85% since the end of October, Tom. 85%. And if you look at it since the beginning of the year, you're looking at returns of 25%. So this is just the old school is back to being not new school because I don't think it replaces the place where clean energy is. And if I can throw a stock out there, plug power, you look at this company, (laughs) they just signed that agreement with Renault. Um, Yeah or joint development of a vehicle in Europe. This company has now gotten into that acceptance phase and it's got the analysts now initiating coverage on it, which means it's turned mainstream. It's no longer a fringe investment. This is it amazing? Great. Yeah, it's amazing. So that those thing are two was less than, I mean, a year ago, it was less than five bucks. Yep. I think it was trading in the threes. And uh, wow. I mean, look at what this thing has done. It's, it is gone. It is $66.50 a share. It's just been moving, moving, moving. And the last earnings report was not was not great. No, it's not. And you know what? This is a batch of companies that I don't think you have to see great earnings. Remember Amazon when they didn't make money? Um, I mean, how many of these dot-com companies didn't make money for so long, had bad fundamentals? This is a – and I – I use the word speculation, and speculation isn't a bad move. Speculation drives markets higher. There's, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about investing, but man, speculation is what is at the heart of the stock market and every bull market. That's why SunPower doesn't it have is. to knock stocks off. It's because people look at the future and they know what the they're looking at long term here. Yeah, it really is amazing. Um, uh, when you look at, I mean, economists have to be scratching their heads or pulling their hair out, uh, <laughs> saying this is not supposed to be what happens. This isn't what I learned in economics 101, you know, but uh, the, the market is anything but, you know, economics 101. And I've always been I've always been a believer in the fact that um, the market can remain uh, you, you know, it can remain insane longer than you can remain solvent. That's correct. <laughs> hey, on a on a side note, when you look back at plug power, since we just talked about that, Tom, yeah. the all time high for the stock about almost sixteen hundred dollars in oh, yeah. two thousand January of two thousand. So this is not uncharted territory. No, that is this is now. I th- the the way I describe it is technology catching up with imagination because right. back in 2000 they imagined 
uh, plug power and hydrogen power and all of this. Now it's actually technology capturing up with it. And that's, I think, why we see it in that acceptance phase. It's just exciting. It, it really is. So let, let's turn to our last little segment here of the, um, of the podcast. And I want to talk about something I call the opportunity chain. And the opportunity chain is just different ways that you can get involved in the markets. And, you know, when I first got involved in the stock market, Chris, um, I got involved like many other people. I worked for a company. Uh, this was, a, I call it my past life. That was Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And that was the first stock that I got involved in was Home Depot because they were offering it as an employee. I, I got uh, employee stock. I was in the employee stock program. Uh, I got it. Now, I was back uh, working with Home Depot in the early days where they offered incentive stock options to uh, to some of their key people and management. And I happened to get a few of those. And I did very, very well at the time because Home Depot was one of those stocks back in the 90s, back in the 80s, actually, back in the 80s and 90s, where this stock was doubling and tripling every year. So, you know, I happened to be in the right company at the right time. And, you know, uh, quick little, uh, quick little uh, backdrop for everybody. Um, I went to Home Depot. It was a job to get me to what I really wanted to do. The thing is, is I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And the, the, the management team there said, hey, this is the best place for you to be right now. Uh, you know, you, you, you're learning business 101 from the best guys in the business. I didn't know that. I just trusted in what I what I'd heard, and it just turned out it absolutely was correct. I think Home Depot is one of the darling best stocks ever on Wall Street. Uh, when you take, I know it's the best retail stock. When you look at what that stock was trading at uh, back in the '80s and where it is now, I, ha- I just happened to luck out and be in the right place at the right time because my buddy, my best friend at the time, happened to work there, and he said come work here. I was going to college and I worked there. You know what I did? I dropped out of college because the guys there convinced I was going to get a better education on business right there at that store. And they were right. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they did the worst thing they could do. Because I mean, I was doing everything, stocking shelves, driving forklift. You know, I I was doing all kinds of stuff. Got into management, got transferred up to New Jersey, saw the skyline of Manhattan. <laughs> and then that was all she wrote. Went down to the stock exchange. I said, this is what I want to do. And I quit. I quit a high paying job, probably at the time, not the smartest thing in the world. But, you know, I went from, from doing really well to making eight bucks an hour down the floor to America Stock Exchange. And, uh, but it worked out, you know, I had to get back to the basement again and rebuild myself with this new career that has brought me to where we are today. But the opportunity chain I'm talking about, folks, is that I started out understanding stocks. What I didn't realize is that stocks, you can only really do two things with. You can buy and you can sell. You can be bullish by buying. You can be bearish by selling, but only if you have enough funds to short sell. And Chris, just let me bend your ear for a second. Go how did you get involved in the stock market? Oh my gosh, this sounds so. Uh, what was the show? Family Ties. Alex P. Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, this that was Tom. That was me. I had the Barron's uh, Bible of Investing when I was 15 years old. It was I had a grandfather that you know the old thing where your grandfather or your grandmother or somebody would send you a stock certificate every year for your birthday and. So I had like the early, I, the bug hit me early. I kind of learned that, okay, you can go in, you know, to the bank account and they can write down or put it in the typewriter, you know, your passbook savings account, and you can save your money that way. Or you could go out and, you know, get a little better rate of return. And that's, I think it's my grandfather, I'd have to say, that got me into investing, but it never hit me like you. I was going to be an engineering, uh, an engineer, Tom. I come from a long line of engineers. So I was a that was my father. My father yeah. was an engineer. You know, I, I mean, Cincinnati is not that far away from Pittsburgh. And nope. My yeah. father was an engineer, and we wound up traveling as a family. He worked for the, for the state. He worked uh-huh. for the, the government, and it, we were transferred from state to state to state. I remember as a kid, I, I called myself a professional new kid in school. <laughs> because I didn't have any friends because I didn't, there wasn't any need to get friends because I was going to be gone in a year. You're going to be gone, yeah. Well, I was I went to Ohio State and got into the engineering school, and within three quarters, differential equations. Went to take the class, was having trouble, and I loved math. And the, my professor told me, "You need to go talk to somebody else about a different career. You're not going to be an engineer. This is a weed out class." Said, what? And I went to the school of business, talked to the finance and accounting and stats department, and that was it. I was done. I I was my first intern was six months later as a uh, as working in the call center at Prudential Securities. And six months after that, I had my Series 7 license at 21. You know, isn't it awesome, Chris? I, I, I have, There's another theory I believe in too, and that is everyone gets what they want mm-hmm. out of life. Yep. Whether you want something good or you want something bad, whatever, you're, whatever you want, you eventually end up getting. And so you know, it's back to, back to our, our stock market and opportunity chain piece. Um, what was your what was your first trade if you can remember? Did you buy stock or did you jump right into options? No, I bought stocks, and the first one that I can recall is AT and T. Okay, uh, AT and T right. and Prudential you know old school. <laughs> you and I both, and and I asked this question. I've done a lot of live seminars, a lot of live seminars, and I always ask this question to my option traders: What was the first option trade you did? And the majority of the room. All buy calls. That that was the first thing they bought calls because they were expecting the underlying in whatever it is they were interested in to go up. Mm-hmm. Very few people, very few people I've ever talked to said my first option trade was buying put options because I was bearish on something. Because, and this is just my thought, you and I and everyone else, we're we're left to right thinkers. You know, we think from down to up. We think from left to right. We think of growth, not something that that falls. And therefore, it's kind of ingrained in our brains that we want to invest in options as leverage instead of buying a stock because we believe for some reason that that, that underlying is going to go higher. Don't yeah. you, you agree with Absolutely. that? Or? Absolutely. I remember my first trade. My first options trade, calls on Intel. My best trade, a put on Cisco in September of 2000 before they went from 40 or 70 bucks down to the 40s. I still remember the, the Intel trade more clearly than the one yeah. that made me the most money. Yeah, so exactly. You know, I, don't, I don't remember my, 
it's hard for me to remember my best trade. Mm-hmm. I'm more of, you know, I'm one of those fear guys in the brain. I'm always remembering my worst trades. <laughs> and I've had some, I've had some, some, wor- some bad trades. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the public market and the stock market and the options market, I mean, the worst one that I can always remember was I had a maintenance margin call that I couldn't cover. And it was ooh, on ooh. October 20th of 1987, oh. the day after the stock market crashed. So I get a phone call from the broker and they said, uh, hey, uh, you know, um, got some good news and bad news. <laughs> what is it? I was at work that day. I already knew things were a problem because they, they, because it wasn't going my direction. They said, well, we got you out of the trade that you were in. Uh, but the bad news is now you owe us $5,000. And I couldn't understand how I actually owed them money. But it was my trade was so bad against me that they got me out and I was negative. And I ended mm-hmm. up having to pay them. I ended up, I worked an entire year in 1988 to pay back my broker with, oh. the, with the excess money I had. I had to work over, overtime. So, and I had to decide whether or not I was going to continue to do this. And then, so fast forward, um, then the 90s come around and I start to understand what options were, not just the ones that I was getting from Home Depot, but how to buy and sell them on exchange. And I understood calls and I understood, I started to understand puts. But there are so many other option trades out there on the spectrum, guys, that take some time to understand the knowledge. You know, if, if, you, if you see an alert or you see something that you want to do and you don't understand it, that's like, it's like jumping into a hot tub without understanding what the temperature is. Mm-hmm. You know, dip your toe in, find out if it's too hot for you. Um, I mean, think about this. And I'm going to throw this is I'm just going to throw some of these out here. But, you know, in the world of options or in the world of stocks, you got two things. Buy stock, sell stock. In the world of options, however, you can buy calls. You can sell calls. Why would someone sell calls? Well, you might be selling to exit a long position or maybe you're selling because you own stock and you're creating a cover call. But you can also buy puts. You can sell puts. Um, I mentioned cover calls. What about spreads? Mm-hmm. There are so many spreads out there. Bull call spreads, bear put spreads, bear call spreads, bull put spreads. There are straddles that, that take advantage of both sides of the market and strangles. strangles uh, yeah. These are option terminology as well. I mean, there are synthetics. There are ratio spreads. There are butterflies. There are condors. There are iron butterflies. And, and these are just the tip of the iceberg. So when I say opportunity chain, in the stock market, the chain's very short. In the options market, the chain has many links. And it's up to you to decide how far down the rabbit hole you want to go in terms of knowledge. Because all of these option strategies are not created equal. You know this, Chris. Yep. Oh, my God, do I? Yes. And, I mean, and just the slightest, uh, when you go to sp- spreads and strangles and you start combining uh, calls and puts, Tom, I mean, you know as well as I do that now you look at the volatility of each one of those trades. And when you talk about a rabbit hole, whew, you can go down that rabbit hole. And in some cases you hear, you know, some people will profess that this is the way to do it. And others will say there are much easier ways. It's your choice. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you're saying, that you can make this fit to whatever you want to do. You don't have to go all the way to the bottom of the rabbit hole here. And there are people listening to this podcast right now, Chris, and they're saying, wow, I really wish I'd have done this back in the 80s and 90s when you did. 
You know what? No, you don't. No, you don't. And I'll tell you so many reasons why this is the absolute best time to start learning this stuff. And it's not because the market is toppy, because we don't know if the market's toppy. They keep flushing more money into the system. The market's nowhere near as toppy as it's going to be. I mean, we could be at 50,000 Dow if, uh, if, if, the, if we continue to print more money. That's not the reason. The reason is that it's so much more, there's so much more liquidity out here now than there was in the 80s and 90s. There's so many more stocks that you can choose options to pick from than there were in the 80s and 90s. And you know the best thing about this? Commissions are so much cheaper than they were in the 80s and 90s. It's, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Silly. I, I can tell you, Tom, when I started the research side of the business, 252 companies were optionable. 252. Yeah. And the reason I know that is because I used to put open interest for each one of them into a spreadsheet every single day. So 252 companies. And what? We had three options exchange, four options exchanges, the Amex affiliate. And, do, yeah. and Chris, do you remember? Do you remember when when um, brokerage fees were like 50 bucks to buy mm-hmm. uh, 100 shares or even 500 shares of stock? It was kind of the same price. And, and I remember when Schwab, when I first saw my first Schwab commercial. Uh, with Charles Schwab, and he was introducing fees of nineteen dollars or nineteen ninety nine uh, to to buy and sell stock, and then yeah. options, which were expensive too. I mean, you had to be back then when you were in the eighties and even in the nineties, you had to be an option investor. You could not be a trader, and you damn sure couldn't go out there and buy these multi legged spreads because. You know, for instance, a, a Condor, which is four different option strikes, that would have required four separate commissions. Yep. We don't and have I that. You, I hate to tell you how much we charged in commissions back in 1991, 1992. It was, it was shameful at this day. It really was. I mean, the broker, the broker was the bookie of the financial markets. It, it really was. I mean, and so, you know, as we, as we end this podcast series, you know, knowledge is one thing. Knowledge does take time. It does take time. Knowledge and experience takes time to really understand the business uh, more so than just following what someone has to say. And, and the, the, the big reason for our podcast, folks, are not just to talk about the news and talk about what's going on for the week, but help you set a career path into doing this. If you want to do it as a hobby, that's great. If you want to do it as a second, uh, as a second side income potential, that's great. If you want to make this your main income potential, that's great too. But realize that as you, as you go from hobby to second to first to prior, you know, you, your knowledge level has to increase too. That and experience take time. But realize that you have a lot of hurdles that, that you don't have to jump over that we did. The hurdles of technology, they're not there. I had to call. I called every time I had to place an order. I called a broker. Um, I, I don't can't tell you the last time I placed an order on the phone. I can't remember. It's been that long ago. You've got commissions, which are at zero in some cases. You've got slippage, uh, and uh, which is so, so thin now because so many people are out in the markets. And you've just got, you know, you've got this liquidity that's out there that allows you to get in and out that you can do multiple types of spreads to be able to uh, turn this from more of an investing strategy into a trading strategy. Chris, final thoughts. 
Final thoughts, I'm going to end it on something I said earlier this week on a live stream because we're talking about getting into investing and digging deeper and what you can do. This is a strange one, Tom, but I think it's a great quote. Traders hate missing an opportunity more than they hate booking a loss. Investors hate booking a loss. And I think that's something that people need to can think about a little bit. If you're a trader, if you think you're a trader, and as you said, you, you remember your losses, your big losses. Those are learning lessons. Those are tuition for your gains to be gotten at some point. But real traders out there, really, if you look at a stock like GameStop that goes up 60% a day, you sit there and go, oh, shucks, I missed that. And I hate the fact that I missed it. But we'll book a 30 or 40% loss the same day. So that's yeah. my definition of a trader versus investor today. And I think that's one of those things people need to think about when they say they're trading. How much do you hate awesome. missing an opportunity? Because that's where you make the money on the opportunities. Good stuff. And I'm going to end it with this, that, uh, you know, I have a um, option strategy, quick reference guide. This is a, this is a, this is a frame, uh, like a picture. Mm-hmm. And there are two dozen, I think there are two dozen strategies on here and they each show risk profiles, the strategy itself, the market outlook, profit potential, risk potential, time decay effect. Love and it. I have this, I've had this. I can't tell you how long, 15, 20 years, maybe. And so I look at it. I look at it all the time. And I realize that, you know, as someone who's if for someone who's getting new to this, uh, new into options, you can't possibly know all of these strategies that are on this this board that I have. But what you need to do if you want some homework, some takeaway from today's podcast, become a jack of all strategies. Understand the strategies, but become a master of two or three. There you go. And then expand on that. Become a master of two or three. You know, you don't need to know every single four and six legged spread, but pick up one. Understand something that works in your in your um, risk parameters if the market's bullish. Understand how something works in your risk parameters if the market's bearish. And then pick yourself a neutral strategy that you might feel comfortable with as well. All right, folks. So that does it for this week. Enjoy the three-day weekend that's coming up. Um, I'm definitely going to do that. We have uh, Martin Luther King Day on Monday, so the markets are closed. So we will be back at it on Tuesday, unless you're a cryptocurrency trader, because nothing closes the crypto markets. (laughs) Have a fantastic weekend, Chris. You do the same, Tom. All of you out there, same to you. We'll see you again next week. Bye now.